0: Welcome to the Tony Talks Wealth Podcast. This show is dedicated to helping you manage your money better, invest wisely, retire early and grow your wealth for you and your family and live your best life. My name is Tony Thomas, Charter Financial Planner, Pension Specialist and Money Coach. I've advised thousands of people over the last 30 years, I'm going to share with you real life stories and everything that you need to know to build a financially secure future and a great lifestyle. If you enjoy the podcast, then feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Now Let's dive into today's episode on the Tony Talks Wealth Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about a very important aspect of investing and that's asset allocation. So let's start by saying that there is no such thing as a sure fire way to investment success. However, if you have money in funds, you will need to pursue some form of strategy. The strategy matters because differences in return can be significant, especially over time. A strategy that works and produces decent returns versus one that fails and produces poor returns could mean a difference of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds. It really is worth the effort. If you have money in funds, such as pensions, ISAs, or general investment holdings, to strive and maximise. It really is worth the effort. If you have money in funds, such as pensions, ISAs, or general investment holdings, then you need to strive to maximise those returns. Let's look at an example that shows how returns translate into different amounts. Consider two investors who both started with £50,000 in total funds 10 years ago. One invested in a range of funds which obtained a return of 3% a year, known as Investor A. The other invested and achieved a return of 6% a year, known as Investor B. The sums each would have at the end of that 10 years would be investor A would be just over 67,000 pounds and investor B just over 89,000 pounds. Investor B has over 22,000 pounds more. The difference in returns are magnified even further if you run the same comparison over 20 years. And the end result would be that investor B, would have had more than 70,000 pounds. So, again, it demonstrates that achieving better returns really matter and more so over the longer periods. This extra money could enhance retirement income, help family members with a house purchase or educational costs, fund accruals or pay for health costs. In other words, the prize of striving to improve or maximize returns if you can successfully. Achieve this is very meaningful. Do such differences and variations in performance exist in the real world? Yes, they do. Research shows that fund performance does vary, even with the same sectors and often by big percentage amounts. However, whilst this is true, it is only ever evident with the benefit of hindsight. To access... Higher returns, one would need prior knowledge of future performance and an idea which investments or funds were going to be good ones. There is no reliable or consistent formula or mechanism for making such predictions. This means that trying to get higher returns by picking winners is unlikely to succeed. As a strategy towards investing, Fund selection on its own is flawed because of the absence of a crystal ball which provides this information. This is, though, another strategic approach to investing, which research shows is also very important in differentiating future returns and, in this case, is also a workable strategy. This is where we look at asset allocation. The strategy is to use an asset allocation approach. Asset allocation describes the process of dividing your investment between different assets such as cash, bonds, shares, and property. The decision how much of your investment portfolio to put into any asset class is likely to have the more significant impact on your long-term results of any investment decision you are going to make. If you consider the different assets I've mentioned previously, which is cash, bonds, shares and property, then it is quite simple to show why this is the case. If you decide to put 100% of your investment capital into cash and hold it there for 10 years, you are likely to have a very different outcome than if you elected to put 100% into shares. Evidence shows that this decision is more important than choosing which shares of funds or cash accounts to use. The top level asset allocation decision is incredibly important. For example, if you choose to put 100% of your investment capital into cash 10 years ago, and to focus hard on finding the best cash account, the one that pays the highest rate of interest each year, to maximize your return, you would have substantially less capital today. However, if you had selected to put 100% of your capital into shares and had selected a fund that had slightly below average performance, that is just a snapshot of two assets against each other over one isolated 10 year period, in that way proving nothing. However, the fact is that if you take this sort of snapshot over many different periods and compare various asset classes This will be the case time and time again. The percentage amounts you choose to allocate to different asset classes is the key factor. So let's look at asset classes and sectors in a bit more detail. An asset class describes a broad group of investments that have similar financial characteristics. The four types mentioned previously are generally considered the main asset classes. However, the position becomes a little more complex if one brings in other types of assets, for example, commodities, and then separately subdivisions of the main assets, for example, small company shares and large company shares. Then there is the added element of geography, for example, UK shares, US shares, European shares, etc., In this regard, the total number of asset areas start to escalate considerably. The term sector is therefore often used to segregate the various asset classes, their geographical spread and subdivisions. The sectors also include the minor asset areas and some non-standard investment categories, for example, hedge funds. Let's look at finding the more suitable percentage split. So, asset allocation is the method of dividing up your entire investment capital amongst these various categories. It is how you decide to do this, both at outset and ongoing, that determines the asset allocation strategy. This strategy is likely to be the single biggest contributory factor to the long term results that you achieve. So, the challenge is to work out what constitutes the most suitable percentage split of assets to use in any given situation. In some ways, this is like the earlier position of trying to pick winners amongst funds or individual shares. No one has a crystal ball, and just as there is no way of knowing which funds will perform best in the future, no one can know how different asset classes will perform. To deal with this and to provide a reasonable prospect of achieving good results in the future, there are various tactical approaches that can be employed. The first of these is to diversify. Diversification is an aspect of asset allocation which does two things at once. It opens the possibility of obtaining good returns by capturing some of the best gains while simultaneously acting as a way of managing risk. We will cover this in a bit more detail later. Secondly, constantly keep the asset allocation active. The word active is often used to describe active funds, those that are managed by fund managers who move money around within the funds, seeking out the best returns from individual stocks or bonds, the underlying instruments within the funds. This is not the context that we are using here. An active asset allocation approach describes the process of not leaving your assets always lined up in the same way. To use an example you may have 50% of your portfolio invested in UK shares in 2019 and then 30% in 2024. Active asset allocation means reviewing and adjusting your split of assets on a regular basis. The third point is to seek out expert help on the asset areas themselves. There is evidence that asset areas, as opposed to individual funds or shares or bonds, can be selected with some degree of accuracy. Whilst there is no crystal ball to predict future markets and certainty, no certainty of anything, there are firms that specialise in looking at macro economic trends and conditions and carefully appraising where value may lie and in terms of having a strong view on where things are likely to go. Combining these tactical factors can hopefully lead to a successful application of an asset allocation strategy. Let's look at diversification in a bit more detail. Diversification is the process of using different asset classes and mixing the percentages in in such a way that you diversify the risk and return. Again, this is best explained by way of an illustration. Whatever sum you have available to invest, you could plump to hold it all in cash. That would be described as 100% asset allocation in cash. Or you could opt to put it all in shares. That then would be 100% allocated to shares. In the former case, 100% cash, it is fair to say that you are taking little risk. Possibly no risk at all in terms of how much money you may lose as cash accounts have no risk of capital loss, but they do have risk in terms of inflation. However, you are sacrificing the potential return as cash accounts tend to pay very little interest. However, you are sacrificing the potential return as cash accounts tend to pay very low interest rates. And certainly over the longer term, you will lose money in comparison to using assets such as shares. In the latter case, 100% shares, you have a real and significant risk as you could invest and then encounter a bear market in the shares and their value could drop. You would lose capital value as a result. So the trade-off here is the opposite could happen. And you invest and the shares rise in value and way above cash interest rates. You invest in shares to hopefully capture these higher returns. If instead of selecting 100% cash or 100% shares, you select, for example, a 50-50 split, you have quite simply reduced the risk compared to the 100% selection of shares and increased the potential for a better return compared to the 100% cash option. So you have diversified if you select a 50-50 asset allocation split because you were spread between different assets aiming to get a more balanced position. In real-world situations where, as outlined earlier, there are dozens of asset classes, sub-assets, classes, and sectors, the process of diversification becomes dynamic because it is The skilled application of spreading between all of these possible areas and including the percentage applied to each and this can make a big difference to the risk and reward equation. In terms of completing the background explanation around diversification, it is important to understand that diversification only works properly if you diversify amongst non-correlated asset areas. Non-correlated means that the movements in the value of an asset area are independent of another area. Some areas are more closely correlated, so the general direction of shares in the UK tend to be more roughly in line with the shares in the US. There is a clear correlation in their performance and certainly in terms of direction. Heavily investing most or all of your invested capital into correlated areas even if those areas are mostly separate, is not proper diversification. However, where there is a very limited and no correlation, the process can legitimately... However, where there is very limited and no correlation, the process can justifiably be spreading the risk and by implication changing the risk and reward ratio. The performance of certain sectors, for example, Japanese shares and UK gilts, are likely to be non-correlated. This should radically increase the chances of divergent performance at different points in time. When one area is doing well, another may not. And then at another point in time, vice versa. This leads to a smoothing in the risk position. The task is to try and achieve this whilst reducing the reward by as little as possible. Dynamic asset allocation strategy is the application of this approach. Now let's look at managing an investment position in a bit more detail, because there are two parts to an asset allocation strategy. One is selecting the asset split at the outset, and the other is managing it ongoing. The split is selected at the outset, is a skilled assessment and how best this is done. There is no right or wrong answer to this, but classically, the asset allocation that is chosen is determined by a combination of two factors. The first is based on the investor's risk position. The asset mix needs to align with the risk level, which will be relevant to the investor's own risk position and their appetite with risk. A higher risk investor will have more of their capital invested in areas which carry higher risk or put another way, a higher chance of losing money and a better chance of greater returns. And they will also have a lower proportion in lower risk areas, those that have limited loss potential. A lower risk investor will skew in the other direction, that is, less in high-risk assets and more in low-risk assets. So the starting position is therefore determined by an assessment of an investor's own risk. This is partly down to their attitude to risk and partly down to their propensity for risk. The propensity means the amount an investor can afford to lose, or I would class that as capacity for loss. The risk assessment is, as a standalone exercise. An important task and one that requires a skilled appraisal. Getting this right provides the basis for the asset allocation decisions to be taken and for an appropriate portfolio mix to be created. Once done, the portfolio should be lined up with the investor's position and requirements. However, that cannot be left alone to work ever and a day because it is easy for the portfolio to fall out of line with the original alignment. Therefore, the asset allocation strategy needs to be managed on an ongoing basis. The alignment can be broken in three ways, all of which can apply alongside each other. One, the investor's own circumstances could change. Their risk position may change as well. The portfolio performance can change and the percentages held in different asset areas simply through variations in performance can also change. Macroeconomic conditions may change, which suggests certain asset areas have different risks or prospects than they had at outset. The middle one of these is in particular very relevant because the natural variations in performance of any portfolio can take it out of line. Think of an extreme example where an investor opts for a portfolio consisting of 50% UK shares and 50% in commodities. The share doubles in value over the next two years and the value of the commodities halves. After two years, the portfolio makes us change from a 50-50 split at outset to 80% UK shares and 20% commodities. It is a different portfolio mix than the one determined at the outset by the original risk assessment and asset allocation. So the mix has changed merely because of performance in the different asset classes. At this point, the investor could sensibly decide that this mix is not right for their risk position and readjust back to the 50-50 split by selling some of the uk shares and buying more of the commodities you may notice that in doing this the investor has taken profits from the shares and reinvested back into the struggling commodity sector may be increasing their chances of buying low and selling high simply through this adjustment this exercise is known as rebalancing and whilst the illustrated example I've described is not especially realistic to most people's portfolios of investments. The principle stands across the board and serves as a good example. So now let's look at another important aspect and that is reviews. One of the keys to a successful asset allocation strategy and approach is to maintain some form of dynamism towards it. For the reasons outlined this can include making regular changes even if they are small to the portfolio mix. Such changes require regular reviews. Such changes require regular reviews. How often such a review takes place is open to debate, but annually, at the very least seems to be the most sensible. Naturally reviews of this type can always include no change and maintaining the position as it stands. A review can include checks to see if anything has changed, which would alter the investor's own risk position, whether the portfolio mix has altered due to the investment performance variations, and to look at the wider world picture. So, regular reviews are vitally important and can't be stressed enough in terms of how important they are for the asset allocation process, not just at outset. But ongoing. That's it for this week's episode. If you want help with this area of financial planning, then please get in touch. And I will look forward to you joining me next week, where we look at longevity risk and the importance of that in terms of investing. And don't forget to drop me a message for the topics that you want covered in the future. thanks for listening to today's episode you can find links to everything that we've discussed in the show notes and if you would like to know more about what i do or see more great money tips to build a secure and a happy lifestyle then you can find all of these on my website ttwealth.co.uk or my youtube channel ttwealth if you want to work with me then why not book a free 30-minute call to find out how you can also follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I also produce a bi-monthly newsletter, TT Wealth News, which contains practical money tips that is free for you to download from my website. And if you're enjoying this podcast, don't hesitate to leave a review. Of course, the more stars the better and equally sharing is caring. But so if you've heard something that you've enjoyed and you think will benefit someone you know, then please do share with them. I'm sure they will appreciate it. So it's goodbye until next time. And remember, live for today, invest for tomorrow.